Hi, my name is Ryan Enoch Wong. For those of you guys who don't know me, uh, for those of you guys who are new to Unicoi or our church, I just want to take this time to welcome you guys, right? And if you're someone who's still wrestling with believing uh, in the truths of scriptures, I want you guys to know that uh, we love having you come to learn, um, having you here to come and learn with us. And uh, we're thankful that you guys have chosen to spend your Friday nights here. Uh, our desire is that you guys would be, um, is that you guys would come to know who Jesus is, right? Our desire is that you guys would become Christian, right? Maybe you've heard the gospel before that while you and I were sinners, while you and I were sinners, that's to say that, that is to say that we disobeyed God's commands, that we were disobedient. While you and I were sinners, God, he sent Christ to die on the cross as a propitiation or atonement for our sins, right? Two big words. I know tons of you guys are AP students, SAT students. These two words basically mean to repair a wrong, right? So because we wronged God, our relationship needed to be repaired. So Christ died on the cross as an atonement for our sins, right? Because God is just the cost of our sin, the cost of our sin, which is death, uh, had to be paid. And here's the good news. It was paid in full. It was paid completely in full by Jesus Christ who died on our behalf. And only he was able to fulfill that role as the perfect sacrifice because, because he, truly God and truly man, truly God and truly man lived out a sinless life that we could not. And when we repent of our sins, when we repent of our sins and, and acknowledge our need for a savior, we find in Christ complete, complete satisfaction and joy. Right? That's what we believe. That's what we believe here at FCBC Walnut. And if you guys have never been here before, or if you guys only come here on Friday nights, uh, that is the core of our beliefs. So maybe you're here tonight and you've always felt a longing for something more. Right? You're asking yourself, is this all that life has to offer? Right? There has to be more. There's got to be more. And we're here to tell you that, yes, the greatest joy and fulfillment and fullness of life can only be found in following Christ. And we hope that the Holy Spirit will continue to um, mold you guys, mold your hearts, shape you into belief. And if you have any questions, you guys can always uh, ask any of our any of the counselors here. You guys can talk to us. Um, you know, if there's, if there's a thought that you can't get out of your head, it's gnawing at you, talk to us, right? And maybe you're still uncertain. That's okay. Uh, just come, to, come talk to us. Like, we just want to get to know you guys better. Um, that's not part of the message, but that's kind of a side, uh, just like a sidebar. So let's get started. The primary text for tonight is Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So if you guys have your Bibles, uh, flip there with me. All right, before I read it, uh, many of you guys already know this Bible verse from Bible Drill. All right, guys, quiet down. Many of you guys will know that this is the Great Commission. Right? This is what Christ has, what Christ calls his people to do. What Christ calls his people to do. It's not simply a suggestion. It's a command. So let's look at it practically, right? How do you and I, how do you and I fit into the Great Commission? And let's dive in. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's start reading from verse 18. All right. And Jesus came. And said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, stop right there. 
look, it doesn't even matter what he says next, right? It doesn't even matter what he says next. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see the significance of that statement and how much power it holds, right? When even the demons see Jesus, they're like, we, we know who you are. You're the holy one, right? Is it that time already? Is it, is it, is it time for you to destroy us? Because, you know, we thought we had a couple hundred more years. You know, maybe did we, did we get the wrong date? You know, why are you already here? Is it time for you to destroy us? The demons know who Jesus is, right? And so how does, what, is, what, what happens next? What, is, what does Jesus do? When Jesus tells them to flee, the demons don't complain. They obey. They obey, right? All authority, all of it, in both heaven and on earth, belongs to Jesus. So that's such a powerful verse. We can just stop right there and have complete confidence that no matter what happens, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So let's get back to the text, right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. All right, pause for a second here. What's the primary command there? The primary command is to go, right? So much is wrapped up in this one word, go. So much is wrapped up in it. It carries our internal longings for adventure, right? For our lives to matter, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Right? This is God telling you and me that I have a unique purpose for you. Right? And this is the crazy part. Get this. We are immortal until God's work for us on earth is complete. Does that make sense? Right? That until his plan for you is done, you will not die. Until his plan for you is done, you will not die. So what is the work that he has called us to do? Right? To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All right, so, okay, where do we go to do this? Right? Are we going to Arizona, to school? Are we going to our SAT or ACT prep class? Where are we going? And what's Jesus' answer? He replies, yes. That's his answer, right? Jesus just says, yes. Right? He commands his followers to go to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Right? Most believed, most of, the, most of the people back then, believed that the promises of God were meant exclusively for the Jews. But what does Jesus do? In his grace, he extends those promises to the Gentiles, to strangers and to enemies. Right? So let's continue from there. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. Notice he didn't say, he didn't say go and make converts, right? But to make disciples. <clears throat> Tells us to go and make disciples. Our goal isn't just to get our friends or get someone to say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I know him, right? But to make followers of Christ. Make followers of Christ who demonstrate that with how, with how they live out their lives, right? These are people who obey His commands. All right, so let's take this from the top again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Jesus lays out the foundation of our confidence and trust. Right? Then He kind of gives us he, he gives us these commands right after that, kind of sandwiches it in between, and then He caps it all off by reassuring us that He is with us. When? Always. 
For how long? Forever. He's with us always and for forever, right? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus tells us, I know I told you to go and make disciples of all nations, but don't be afraid. I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you. There are going to be days where it's difficult. There might be days where it's going to be really hard. You want to run and hide. Maybe you just want to curl up and cry sometimes. Maybe you feel helpless. Maybe you just feel like your spiritual life is dry. But Jesus says this, remember, remember that I'm with you. And that all authority is mine. All authority is mine. You're not alone. And that's such an encouragement to us. So you guys might have noticed that, uh, if we go back to that previous screen, um, you guys might have noticed that the title of tonight's message is The Pilgrim's Purpose. And uh, it's kind of a play on words on a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, but we're talking about The Pilgrim's Purpose. And you're thinking, okay, what does this have... What does this have to do, what does any of this have to do with this month's theme of community, of family discipleship, right? I know that we're called to go and make disciples, but why should I personally pursue discipleship? Especially with people who I don't know that well, right? Especially with people who are strangers to me. This is what we're going to talk about, right? Great questions. You guys always ask the ones that, I, you know, I know you guys are going to ask me, so perfect. So hold on to those thoughts. We're going to, let's, let's, let's go through this. Pilgrim's progress, or Pilgrim's purpose, not progress. All right, so when I think of pilgrims, I kind of, it brings me back to elementary school, right? I think back to those elementary school Thanksgiving kind of uh, Thanksgiving parties. I don't know, did you guys have those, right? We, we would make little, we made little feather hats and black bucket-looking things with belts on the top. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And then we'd all have a Thanksgiving feast, right? We'd all bring some food and have a Thanksgiving feast, but... Thanksgiving is more than just eating and hanging out with your friends. It's so much more than that. Uh, Here's the history of it, right? In October of 1621, 53 pilgrims invited 90 Native Americans, right? 90 Native Americans to celebrate in their first harvest in what is now known as the first Thanksgiving, right? The pilgrims shared the literal fruits of their labor, right? This is their first harvest. They grew corn. They're sharing their literal fruits of their labor with the Native Americans, strangers, and some might even say enemies to them. Right. So in light of what was just exposited in Matthew 28 and what we've been learning in Acts from Ryan, from the other Ryan, right, I kind of want us to think about and consider the command to go and make disciples. Right. How is that accomplished in our individual lives? What does that look like? Uh, we're going to talk about the Great Commission through the lens of biblical hospitality. So there's our primary text. Uh, we have a couple secondary texts, but we're going to go through uh, kind of a little background of hospitality first, right? What is hospitality? Why hospitality? What is it even, right? When I think of hospitality, I think of dinner parties, right? Dinner parties or having friends sleep over, right? The dining room table is kind of decorated with, I don't know, it's laid out. There's like a tablecloth in it. You've got your flowers in the middle, right? You bring out your finest china or your finest silverware, Everything looks super neat and orderly. Right? You don't bring out those disposable plastic utensils that we stockpile from Chipotle, right? When you have when you have your guests when you have your guests over, you bring out the best and you make it look really, really pretty. Right? That's what I think of. That's what I think of when we're thinking of hospitality, right? 
It's supposed to look beautiful. It's supposed to look orderly, maybe even fun. Uh, we see these images all the time on social media. Right? You've got your BuzzFeed articles on, uh, what is it, like 12 Super Bowl party tips to impress your friends, right? something like that. Uh, or maybe you're scrolling through your Instagram, Snapchat, or, uh, or Pinterest, seeing clips or images of uh, friends gathered around perfectly placed food. Right? The lighting is shining perfectly on it. It's glowing. Everything looks amazing. Right? Honest, uh, side note, but honestly, I, I don't know why people take... Why do, you, why do people take pictures when you could be eating the food? It's, like, we're so busy taking pictures. We're so busy taking pictures of the food instead of eating it, right? I mean, okay, so, like, are we too scared to mess it up? Are we too scared to mess it up, right? Nothing is ever too pretty to eat. I'll, I'll eat it, and then I'll go back for seconds. But uh, back on topic, right? So social media, I think, has hijacked the word hospitality from us. Uh, it's been simplified to some sort of dinner party. Uh, it feels glitzy. It feels manufactured. Uh, maybe even fake. Biblical hospitality is so much more. Right? God is serious about hospitality. So, so much so that he commands that of those who follow him. And so let's take a look. We're going to turn to our secondary uh, text right here. We're going to Titus 1, 7 to 8. So flip there with me. I'll give you guys a moment to get there. This is Paul discipling Titus. This is Paul discipling Titus. <laughs> All right. Don't flip, don't flip too fast, guys. It's okay. You can take your time getting there. Take your time getting there. All right. Titus 1, 7 to 8. All right, guys. Titus 1, 7 to 8. For an overseer, for an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Paul tells Titus that leaders in the church must be hospitable, right? It's, it's written right in there, right? Right alongside right alongside of lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, right? God is serious about hospitality, about being hospitable. This is not something to be taken lightly. Right? According, to, according to John MacArthur, the word in the original language literally means to love strangers. To love strangers. And so as we find this in the qualifications for an overseer, we realize how important that is. So our first point tonight, if you guys are taking notes, is that uh, those who would shepherd his, shepherd his flock are to be approachable and accessible. All right, approachable and accessible. We must be approachable and accessible. And you're thinking, okay, like, hold up, Ryan. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not Kevin. I'm not a deacon, right? I'm not even a small group leader right now. This doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does, right? Yes, it does. While these commands were meant as qualifications for uh, for elders, they are qualities that we should each be striving towards, right? Do you want your friends to know Jesus? Do you seek to lead others to Christ? If so, then by definition, you are a leader, right? Think about this, right? A little over 10 years ago, people primarily communicated face-to-face -face or personally over the phone. And then if you fast forward to today, what happens now? We're 
right? We're glued to our phones. We're glued to our phones and our primary method of communication has been reduced to sending a text, maybe a snap. Maybe we don't even do that. Maybe we just scroll through our Instagram, silently judging the lives of others and pretending that we know them more than we actually do. Is that you? The opposite of hospitality is selfish arrogance. And it is that exact attitude that tears relationships apart. So be approachable and accessible. In New Testament times, uh, hospitality was essential. Uh, persecution, poverty were common among all the traveling Christians, right? There was no such thing as Airbnb. And even if there were, you'd probably get beaten up and robbed in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> so remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The traveler was stripped and beaten, left for dead, left for dead. But the Good Samaritan, a stranger to the traveler, both in socioeconomic status and in race, found him. He found him, he cared for him, and he extended grace. Hospitality was essential, was an essential virtue during those times. Uh, so how does that look like today? What's that, what is that going to work out to? Right? True leaders in the church, true leaders in the church are to personally care for both their own sheep, right, their flock, and strangers. We must have, open, have an open door to our homes and our lives for all of those in need. And by doing so, our true character as Christ followers is made manifest. It's made apparent to all of those outside. It's made manifest to all of those who come. Hospitality is loving fellow believers. It's loving strangers, loving even enemies, as if they were our own family. And when the secular world sees this, when your friends see this, none of the labels they want to pin on us will stick. Right? They're made to consider the person of Christ and the example that he has set for his followers. If I open my home and my life to people who are different from me, right? people who are of a different race, maybe people who have a different sexual orientation, and I walk with them and hang out with them, how can they call me a racist or a bigot? Gospel-centered community and gospel-centered hospitality demand that my relationships not be homogenous. Right? It just means that they be different. My relationships have to be different. I have a quote from Matt Chandler of the Village Church. He defines hospitality as this. Hospitality is to walk alongside of people for an extended period of time so the glory of Christ might be seen and embraced by them. Right? That kind of sums all of that up. And it brings us to our second point, which is to evangelize, not entertain. Evangelize, not entertain. So in light of Matthew 28, it should be common sense that we're going to talk a little bit about evangelism if we're talking about the Great Commission. So uh, here's our other secondary text. Luke 14, 13 to 14. Let's take some time to flip there. All right, Luke 14, 13 to 14. 
But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, God extended hospitality to us even while we were Gentiles, outsiders blinded to the reality of Christ, of Jesus Christ. He adopted us as fellow sons and daughters and in turn made us inheritors of his promises and, his, and the fullness of his grace and mercy. Right? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He died for strangers and enemies who hated him. He died for you and for me. And yet, yet he invites us to the feast. How do we walk the Great Commission as Christ followers? We show hospitality by giving to the poor and the needy without expecting anything in return. Right? We, we treat fellow believers and strangers as though they were our own family. And as a result, we share the gospel. When we open our lives to others, we form a relationship with them, allowing us to care more deeply and for them to be more to be to, to share more openly with us. Right? Have you guys noticed that? That when you guys open up your lives to others, when you share with others, they're so much more likely to open up in return. Right? Evangelism doesn't have to be scary or, or harsh. Right? You don't need to Bible thump anyone. We used to do that when I was in Unicoi. It doesn't work. Don't do it. <laughs> it's as simple as asking them, how can I be praying for you? And maybe they're saying, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in what you believe. That's fine. I'm not asking you to believe in God. I'm just asking you how I can be caring for you. Can we do that? Be faithful in hospitality and in evangelism. Entertaining, on the other hand, entertaining. It focuses on the superficial details, right? Are the decorations up? Is the table set? Does the food or the party look Instagram-worthy, right? Can I take a picture of this and post it? Right? What's the perfect shot I can take to show off to all my friends and get as many likes as I can? Right? Sometimes we're taking like 50 different angles until we choose the one we want, right? It makes sure that every hair, every ray of light is in its place. Uh, entertaining directs the attention to yourself. Hospitality. Hospitality, on the other hand, it focuses on serving others and creating a setting where it's comfortable, where they are comfortable. Are the needs of the guests being met? Have I made time to fellowship with the others face to face? To face? Or am I so busy just doing stuff? Am I so busy trying to keep everything neat and looking clean? Maybe the house or the table isn't perfectly set, right? Maybe it reveals some of the flaws of my imperfect life, of my own sin, of how we live as imperfect people. Hospitality focuses more on being interested rather than interesting. Does that make sense? Hospitality focuses more on being interested instead of interesting. Hospitality focuses more on, be, in, on being more interested in the thoughts, the feelings, and the preferences of the guest rather than on the food that is served or the decorations that we have up. It directs the attention to others, asking questions to them and listening 
actively to their answers. And there's this one quote that I really love, this comparison by Jen Wilkin. Uh, I'll read it now. Quote, entertaining is always thinking about the next course. Hospitality burns the rolls because it was listening to a story. Entertaining obsesses over what went wrong, but hospitality savors what was shared. Entertaining, exhausted, says it was nothing really, and hospitality thinks it was nothing really. Entertaining seeks to impress, and hospitality seeks to bless. Right? Both of them look so similar. They can both take place in the home, but they both look so similar. Maybe you guys are already doing one or the other when you're at halftime or at some other event during summer, right? What's the difference between the two? Hospitality welcomes and invites the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, treating them as family and making an effort to get to know them. Do we do that? Right? We need to be doing this without expecting anything in return. But here's the catch. We do get something in return. When we extend hospitality to others, we grow in zeal, right? In joy for our Lord. I remember a time when, when I was in college, uh, first or second year, freshman, sophomore year of college, and I felt like I wasn't growing. Uh, I was afraid. I was scared. I thought I was falling away. Uh, but I came to realize that my joy in Christ was slowly dying out because I had barricaded myself in my own comfortable bubble with my close friends, right? I refused, I refused to go to step out of my comfort zone, to reach out and meet with those and meet with what I believe to be strange and unknown. We grow in a joy of the Lord when we extend that hospitality, the hospitality that we have first been shown by God. So now, after we've gone through these two points, we know how to conduct ourselves. Right? To be approachable and accessible. We know what we're called to do. To evangelize and not entertain. But how do we practically apply that? Um, so our third point tonight is to engage and edify. Engage and edify. Let's uh, turn one more time to Romans 12, 9 to 13. All right, Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is such a theologically rich passage. Uh, we don't have time to exposit it tonight. That's a whole different sermon. But I want us to really dial in on that last verse, that last line. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. All right, we're going to camp out here for a little bit. If God has called us to show hospitality to strangers and aliens, then it should go without saying that the same is already expected between believers, right? 
If we can't even get along as fellow brothers and sisters, how do we expect our lives to reflect Christ to those who don't know him? Right? How do we figure out each other's needs and seek to care for one another? Last week, Ryan already mentioned part of this uh, in his sermon. He says to greet everyone. Right? He brought the example of John Lim, how awkward he was, and yet he just went around and, and, and said hi to everyone. Uh, John Lim was in my year. I, I still remember him. We, we were in the same small group together. But he would be the most friendly guy. You would just be doing your own thing at church, and he would just walk up to you. And the thing is, most people don't smile until they get to you or, see, or make eye contact, but he's smiling already as he's walking to you. Right? He's already smiling, and you know he's, like, he's, he's going to ask you something. And it's never an easy question, just like, you know, like, oh, what'd you do over the weekend? No, he, he always goes, like, how are you? How are you doing, really? And yeah, it's awkward. It's kind of uncomfortable sometimes. But you grow to really love that. And you realize that he does that because he cares and loves you. Right? So, greet everyone. You're not going to be able to demonstrate hospitality if you don't even know their name. Right? How are you even going to start? Like, take the first step. Introduce yourself. Right? Get their name. Repeat their name back to them. And then remember them. Right? I can already see, like, there's a ton of introverts in here. It's not, it's not fun and it's not easy. I'm introverted too, and I, it makes me squirm to think I have to do that. Right? Some of you guys are already like squirming and sweating, just like, oh no, Ryan, I can't do that. That's not happening. Let's just move to the next point. But I'm going to disappoint you. It's just going to get harder. Right? It's not getting any easier. So this one's important. Engage. Engage people. I don't mean to start a fight. I mean, okay, we're not, we're not calling, we're not, we're not telling you to, you know, start and engage or something, but engage people. I'm talking about asking open-ended questions and actively listening, actively listening, right? Be curious, wonder, wonder about their lives, right? Some of you, some of you guys are afraid that you won't know your mentors well. You guys have brought that up to me. Like, what if I don't know my mentor? What if we don't get along well? What if they're strangers to me? Get to know them. Ask them about what they do. You know, you can ask them like, oh yeah, what do, what do you do? And just like, oh, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm an underwater basket weaver. And you're like, and you're like, what the heck is that? Right, so you're like, so you guys are like, what the heck is that? And you're, and you're saying, Shh. and so you're saying, yeah, I, I weave baskets underwater. And then you're like, all right, cool. How does, uh, how does that work? Tell me about your life. All right, tell me about your life. Meet new people and engage with them. Meet new people and engage with them. All right, lastly, eat with them. Eat with them. This one is one of my favorites, not just because I love food, but because it is through the sharing of meals. It's through the sharing of meals that we as believers are able to edify and encourage one another. In, the, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible emphasizes multiple times the holiness of eating together. Right? Take, for example, communion or even the feeding of the 5,000. Right? Time and time again, God brings his people close together through the sharing of a meal. 
right? And it is in some of these moments, it's some of these moments that, that God is able to teach us most about what it means to serve and to care and love one another. Have you guys found that to be true? I know so many times whenever I'm meeting up with people, we go get food, right? Not just because we're hungry. Maybe Sometimes we're not even hungry. We just go because we want something to, like, to hold on to or else it's weird. But, <laughs> but yeah, like we meet together and we share a meal together. And there's holiness in that. There's holiness in that. Right? God is able to teach us most about what it means to love and serve one another in those moments. Eat with your small group. Eat with your family. Right? Eat with somebody who's older than you and pick their brains for wisdom. Eat with someone that you don't even really know. Maybe someone you don't know too well. Right? Invite those who, who are different from you, who are not like you. Some, invite someone who, who does not believe what you believe, invite them to the table and engage them. When you walk alongside them and you encourage them with the gospel, we edify and encourage one another. So when I was, when I was 14, uh, when I was 14, ninth grade, sitting in the old bungalows for Unicoi, right? I remember, a lot of you guys still remember those. We haven't been in there in a long time because they're gone now. Uh, my friends and I decided that we wanted to make a small group. Um, we were, it was, through a, it was through a ninth grade retreat that we had gone, gone close to one another. And we wanted to take seriously what it meant to hold each other accountable and to care for one another. Right? We wanted to push each other forwards in our faith. So we asked, uh, we asked Hanley to lead our small group. Uh, we ended up having a small group. Uh, it's more like a large group. There were <laughs> there were 15, 15 of us in there. 15 guys who would meet every couple of months, share a meal, and then sleep over. Right? This wasn't often, but it was every once in a while. Right? That small group, that small group was led by Hanley and Uncle Tony. Uh, many of you guys don't know Uncle Tony. Uh, so I'll try to give... I'll try to do my best to give you a kind of brief description of him. Uh, he was an older English man. I had an English accent. I'm not going to try. So, <laughs> and he was, a, he was between like 50 to 60 years old at that time. Right. 50 to 60 years old at that time. We had no idea who he was. Right. We only knew Hanley because he was our youth pastor. We didn't know anyone past, I don't know, 40 years old, past our parents' age. But there was Uncle Tony. And all we knew was that every time we would meet for small group, every time, every couple of months, he would take us all out for dinner. He'd take us all out for dinner. He'd open up his house to us. And he would sacrifice his sleep and health to stay up and talk with us. Remember, we were crazy 14-year-olds. Like, we were running around his house. It wasn't even that big. We were loud. We were pretty much just, like, digging through his cabinets, finding all the snacks at night. <laughs> and we were pulling all-nighters. So, like, we, would, we were staying up. I remember, uh, if you guys remember John Young, this is one of our best memories together. It was uh, one, of those, one of those sleepovers. He and I, we stayed up all night playing a, playing a tower defense game. And another night, we stayed up all night watching Wimbledon or something. It's... Yeah, it was crazy. 
and I'll always remember this, that every time we went over to his house, there were stacks of frozen pizzas in the freezer. Right? Stacks of frozen pizzas in the freezer, like 10 of them. And then in the basket, right by his counter, there was, there'd be like 10 bags of, of those Hawaiian chips. Those were, those were good. Like the Maui onion flavor. Yeah. <laughs> right? We all knew, like all of us knew that Uncle Tony didn't eat any of this because of his health. Right? It wasn't for him. He bought it for us. He extended hospitality to us even while we were strange, crazy kids to him. And he never expected anything in return. He never asked for anything back. And so when I graduated from high school and uh, moved down to San Diego for four years uh, for university, Uncle Tony would, uh, every once in a while, make the drive down to San Diego to visit us and take us out for dinner. And as the years went by, his health deteriorated. He got sicker and sicker, and he eventually had to lug around uh, an oxygen tank. And yet, he still drove down to San Diego to share a meal with us. At the time, I didn't realize the full weight of his care and love for us. We were completely different generations, different races, like you name it. But he treated us as if, as if we were his sons. And time passed, uh, his health worsened uh, to the point at which he could no longer make that trip down to San Diego anymore to, to meet with us. He couldn't make long drives, long trips. Um, but every time I came home, every time I came home to visit during summer break, spring break, winter break, there he was, standing at the back of the mat with his oxygen tank next to him. And he'd greet me and ask me how I was doing. He passed away a few years ago, and though the moments we had to talk to one another were brief and few, his life exemplified the Christ-centered hospitality that we are called to pursue. That was Christ-centered hospitality, and we got a taste of it. We, we got a glimpse of that. My one regret was that I didn't spend more time pursuing his mentorship and wisdom. And so, with the mentorship program coming up, take advantage of that opportunity. Take advantage of the opportunity to get to know someone older, someone who's traveled a little bit further down the road. I used to always think to myself, why should I get to know a stranger, right? I'm perfectly happy, I'm perfectly happy if we have a mutual understanding of, you know, just you do you, I keep to myself, I'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. Like, why do I need to open up my life to somebody I barely know? How do I know if they're trustworthy? Like, how do I even know if they're a good person? See, God, God knew the darkest secrets of my heart. He knew every evil thought. He knew every rebellious sin. He knew that I hated him. And yet, he still chose to love me, to care for me uh, as his own. We're only able to be hospitable by imitating the infinite hospitality that was shown to us by God. Right? Because God first showed hospitality to us, that is why we can be hospitable in return. 
that while we were yet strangers and enemies, he sent Christ to die for us so that we would be adopted and grafted in as fellow inheritors of the kingdom of heaven? I understand. Like stepping into that unknown space, right? reaching out to strangers and opening up our lives to them, there's risk in that. It's scary. But if all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Christ and he is with us always, then what is there to be afraid of? What is there to be afraid of? One writer says this, True discipleship is about inviting someone to the table, providing a feast, and then teaching them to feed themselves so they can prepare a meal for someone else. True discipleship is about inviting someone to the table, inviting a stranger to the table, someone that you don't even really know, providing a feast, right? Showing them care, showing them love, teaching them. Teaching them to feed themselves, right? Teaching them, how do you, okay, how do you cook that, right? Or how do you study the Bible? How do you do this? How do you do that? Teaching them to do that so that what? So that they can go and prepare a meal for someone else. That's discipleship. As disciples of Christ, we are called to be disciple makers of Christ. It doesn't end there. Are you hungry? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Maybe you've forgotten what that tastes like. Or maybe what, or, or even what that feels like. Maybe you feel dry, emptied out, as if you're barely growing anymore. As if you've forgotten that first love of meeting Jesus. The Bible tells us to come. Come to the table and feast. Reach out, take, and eat. I want to close this off in prayer right now, but I want to share a little bit more about mentorship after this. So I want you guys to reflect on that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so gracious so gracious in giving up of yourself to us that while we deserved nothing while we would have ran the other way God you welcomed us in you invited us in and you showed us hospitality you showed us what it means to love strangers you showed us what it means to care for one another And you gave us the ultimate picture of that through Christ on the cross. Lord, we thank you for your invitation to come, to come and feast. Lord, we pray, we pray that we would value that, that we would make that a priority in our lives, not just to, not just to be friendly but that we would be approachable and accessible, that people would gain access to us and in doing so, give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them. 
You've shown us hospitality so that we would evangelize and not entertain. We're not here to make much of ourselves, but to make much of you. And so, God, we pray that we would place others as more important than ourselves. And Lord, you've given us each other here. You've given us older brothers and sisters. You've given us our family. You've given us members of this church to engage and to edify. God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the courage to step into that space? It's scary. But if all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you, God, we have full faith. We have full faith that you're in control and that it's going to be all right. So Lord, give us courage. Courage to reach out, to take and to eat. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.